Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IA Cast. All right, with me today, I have Taylor Arndt. Hello, everyone. And I have Jason Earls. Hello, everyone. All right. And for you guys on YouTube, we have Taylor on video today. So me and Taylor are both on video. So a little bit of a different change of pace. And um, this actually, um, we started a kind of a new, we haven't decided really if it's going to be weekly or monthly show to talk about a technology topic on here. Last week, we talked about, um, we did a live stream on how to automate for productivity. So what did you, what did you? What did you think about that stream, Taylor? It was awesome. We need to do it more often. We were able to just kind of unwind, right? And we were able to kind of talk about what we talk about best, which is tech. I had an awesome time. We we probably at this point, Michael, if we keep up what we're doing, we probably might want to do it weekly or else our show's monthly will probably be four hours long. Right. That that was uh on its own, it was a two hour show. It was. And it was a lot of fun. And um, you know, I, I think we're gonna have other people on there. Uh, you know, to do interviews with. We might even, uh, I think at one point, maybe in the future, we may even put uh, Jason over here in the hot seat to talk about audio editing and audacity and things and like that. And music production and yeah. stuff. How do you feel about that, Jason? Productive. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I think it would be really cool, but uh, audacity's got its own stuff that's been going around the uh, the interwebs of news lately but uh that's... Why, don't you, why don't you talk about that a little bit and what what that means so i will link to um an article that that talks about this in detail but there's a audacity had apparently been purchased by a, a different uh an organization in 2021 i believe i do not remember what the organization is called but um one of the things about audacity is that for 20 something years it has been open source and it uh you know has been able to be forked and 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 all this stuff and that's still the case but another big win for audacity is that they never really tracked any user information and this company had updated audacity's privacy policy uh basically saying that they were going to start collecting some user information and stuff that they would then be able to like submit to law enforcement and, and, and stuff. And the policy itself was, was, was very vague. And these changes aren't going to take effect until audacity version, I think 3.3, I believe we're on 3.2 now, but it had a lot of people in a bit of an uproar. Uh, people were saying on various sites that audacity was now spyware and that you should uninstall audacity uh, the privacy policy has since been updated to be a little more clear. From what I have seen, it doesn't look like it's any different than basically any other app out there. It doesn't really seem all that scary to me personally, and I'm still going to continue to use Audacity because Audacity is the best software for my purposes right now. So, like I said, I will I will post a link to um, an article talking about the issue more in depth here, but it's... <laughs> it was definitely one of the a, a definitely a headline grabber 
seeing stuff like Audacity spyware. So. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. It is. And it it's interesting because um you know we have a lot of things that are that are going on right now that are very controversial um like this whole thing with Windows. And if people haven't been keeping up with the news, you might want to. Microsoft has released the first uh, and second now versions of Windows 11 uh, developer uh, preview. And I'm fearing for my gaming computer's life because on the second, the first build was pretty good. It was. And Taylor had to roll back to Windows 10 because the second one caused some problems you want to talk about that taylor oh yeah we had a we had a fun time on friday basically i was like why can't i do anything it was hard for me to code it was hard for me to do anything in this terminal i was like oh this is gonna be fun and i told michael I'm like well i checked twitter i'm like there's a new build out michael's like oh you probably have it so sure enough i do a winver which will allow you to check your current version of windows and i'm like huh I think it just updated without me knowing it. Classic. So that whole day I was struggling, then I up, uh, downgraded, excuse me, to Windows 10. And I didn't have any of those issues because I'm not sure if it was something with the processor of this computer or whatever, but NVDA was like hanging and freezing and, oh, it was a, it was a fun time. And Alt-Tab wasn't working. It was a nightmare. Yeah, I was causing some hanging and, you know, these things can be... I thought when she would roll back, it would have gone back to the previous version of Windows 11, but nope, it went all the way back to Windows 10. Yep. So, Jason, what are your thoughts on on uh, uh, Windows 11? We did we we used a um, for our last episode. We did a uh, uh, crossover with Taylor's Tech Talks YouTube for uh, to talk about Windows 11, and so. Now that you've heard more and, you know, you've experienced some things with Windows 11, what do you think about the whole thing, Jason? I have a Mac. That's your answer to everything. Pretty much. No, um, I think, I, I, I think it's very sad that the, uh, the build, the, the, the second beta build has kind of, um, undone some of the stability and, and reliability of what it sounds like the first build of Windows 11 had. Hopefully, Microsoft will be able to fix a lot of that by the time the next build comes out for people to beta test. And I mean, it it really does get annoying sometimes. Even as a beta tester, you know, you know to expect bugs, right? But and 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 you know the risk when, especially if you are one of these people who put, as I am, the betas on their primary devices. I do it for two reasons: one, I don't have any secondary devices, and two, I feel like if I did. I would just use the primary device anyway, and I wouldn't actually use the beta. But anyway, nonetheless, knowing to expect bugs and actually being faced with those bugs can be just annoying. And it really kind of is a bit of a bummer, especially when it starts affecting your ability to do your work. And then you're faced with having to downgrade and stuff. So I really hope that for the sake of people who are beta testing Windows 11 and, and, and whatnot that Microsoft does get its act together. I guess, I wonder, Taylor, if, did you downgrade using the, because um, Windows 11, I guess, is going to have a 10-day grace period when people update. That will then allow you to revert back to 10. So is that the mechanism you knew you used, or did you end up, like, 
doing a full-on reformat and reinstall of Windows 10 that way. No, I went into rollback. I said rollback. Okay. But it's been more than 10 days since I have Windows 11, or is it 10 days after the next build? It might be on an individual build basis, but my understanding was it was it was 10 days after Windows 11 ends up being upgraded to from Windows 10. Right. Because I had because I had Windows 11 for more than 10 days, right, Michael? I'm sure, right? I believe so. Uh, now, one of the things, you know, we were going through it, and interestingly, on my computer, I could type in different things like um, Windows Update or different things like that. And on Taylor's, that wasn't working. So even typing rollback would bring up Edge, and that should not work. That should not happen. And um, now the button that I saw, and, you know, hopefully, you know, we had probably the option to uh, go back to the previous build, but the only one I saw was go back, and I bet that had to do with Windows 10, so my apologies, Taylor, on that. Um, Well, it's fine. Honestly, it's kind of working a lot better right now. I don't really want to mess with it just because I need my computer mm -hmm. to get things done. Right. So, uh, either way, you know, probably going back to 10 on your primary computer was probably the best, uh, you know, idea there. And honestly, you know, now that and I think I said this in the uh, in the in the in the cross show, but I don't actually know that I will be able to try Windows 10 without buying a new PC. Windows um, 11, or yeah, sorry, Windows 11 without buying a new PC because my particular PC is from 2013, and it has the it has an Intel i5, I think, in it. Probably fourth generation i5 or something like that. <laughs> something like that. I think it's running at like 1.6 gigahertz, but it's still, you know, I think I meet the minimum RAM requirements. Isn't it four gigs of RAM or something like that? Yeah, it's four gigs. And then, uh, but you need the TPM2 module and you need yeah, nice, uh, your boot and UEFI. And all that has to be turned on. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, it is. And some people are saying, you know, the Mac... Um, has all those things, but it's not turned on. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Apple or Microsoft makes allowances for that to work. Yeah, that really will be interesting. I'm actually really excited about the developments in Windows on ARM. Not because I want to install Windows on my Mac, but there are plenty of people that have M1 Macs that would want to install Windows on their Macs uh, officially through like Bootcamp or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it'll be very interesting to see if Apple can bring Bootcamp back in the future for um, the Apple Silicon Macs and Windows on ARM. Yep. It's just interesting, you know, the, the difference between, uh, you know, Windows 10 and 11, how much is really different, how much is not. And, you know, I think really the big difference is the ARM support and what it's going to be, able, what that's going to mean for Windows. Um, I kind of wish that there were not uh, so not so much animosity between Microsoft and Apple. But, you know, Apple is, you know, with the Epic Games stuff, you know, bringing it on themselves a little bit. And at the same time, not Uh, Microsoft is kind of siding with Epic a little bit because of the Xbox Game Store and all that. And the changes that they made in uh, Windows, uh, the window, the Microsoft Store. So, so, yeah, man, you know, we actually it's been a few weeks since we did an actual show. Did uh, did we get anything else that happened, Jason? Did I'm, am I missing any other really good news? Honestly, well, I mean, I guess if you wanted to talk a little bit about the... Uh, I was a little bit surprised about this. Um, Nintendo announced a new version of the Switch. And it looks like the only major changes to the Switch are that you can get a 
dock with Ethernet port on it now, and it's going to have a slightly bigger display with OLED and more storage, but it's going to have the same CPU, it looks like, and everything else. So I'm really kind of surprised that they didn't actually change the uh, the CPU in the Switch, because I feel like there's some games that would be able to benefit from it. I won't lie. Heavier games. I won't lie. I would love a Switch with an OLED display. That would be so amazing. Um, I have a Switch. I have a first-generation Switch. There are now three generations of the Switch. They, The first one had a very low-powered processor. The second one upped that, and this one just upped the screen. So it's very interesting. I'm wondering if the build quality on this new one's a little bit better, but um, I have um, half the mind to get that for myself for my birthday. Um, that would be an awesome birthday present to myself in November. That'd be cool if Nintendo did like a trade-in program like Apple. Although I guess you could get it from like someplace like Best Buy and they, they would be able to do a trade-in, wouldn't they? And GameStop, yeah. And they GameStop, usually do, yeah. yeah. So. so there's that at least. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I want to mention one thing and we'll go ahead and move on to our main segment after this ad. We are back on uh the iacast network is back on patreon and um we are going to be offering a few different tiers for patrons and we will have um a few modes we'll talk about those as they become available but the first tier at one dollar will be to yet again get access to all of our outtakes all of our 2021 outtakes are on patreon and they don't happen as often as they used to and i don't know why we used to have so many and they were so funny i don't know i know it's like it's like we're getting better at this or something (laughs) or it could be the people we're too good we're too good or or Either that, or we just talk about boring stuff now compared to what we used to. I don't know. It just the outtakes were great. They were hilarious, and you we know, we still so. have a few good ones in there. Oh yes, and and uh, I'm not going to mention it, but uh, Taylor actually has one of the best. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Courtesy of my awesome neighbors, y'all. Yep. Yeah. You know what so. I think it is? It's a conspiracy, right? We're 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 the, the those of us who edit and work on the show are doing our best to make sure that we're professional and polished so we don't have to do as much work when it comes to dealing with the outtakes. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. Actually, you know what I think you know what I think it is is the fact that we've changed our show our show format to be more of a more conversational. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I actually were... think that's a lot of it. Mhm. Um, mm-hmm. cuz I was talking to you about this um a while back actually. Mm-hmm. Um about this very topic. I really do think it's that we're we're a little more laid back than we had been in earlier episodes, and that's okay. I really right. like that about our show and right. other shows. Right. Which brings us to our next topic, our main topic for today's show, and that is Microsoft Office versus uh, our comparison to Google Workspace. We at iAccessibility have been using um, Office for several years, and that may change very soon because we have found the power of of Google Workspace through a few folks, including Taylor and um, you know Michael Babcock and uh, Doug and others who Demasi. hang out on our Discord server. Damasi, yep. You know, both of these platforms have their benefits and their drawbacks. Although, to me, Google has one drawback. That's it. One. That's all. One. Uh, but we'll get into that. So, Taylor, you have your own company. So, tell me why 
what got you interested into Google Workspace compared to what we what you've been using uh, for your company, which is Office? Yeah, that's a great question, Michael. Uh, for my company, I was interested in Workspace, especially after Demosi and uh, the crew on the Discord server mentioned it. And for a couple of reasons. First off, the collaboration that it gives you is just unbeatable, right? So Google Docs is powerful. In fact, we've used Google Docs for a lot of different things, including stuff related to this podcast and even doing accessibility audits in real time together. The other thing that really got me is that the Gmail interface is pretty cool, but also that you can do other things that you would not be able to do in Office, like groups for business. So Taylor's Tech Talks has a group that just got announced and we literally did that at tayloraccess.com. So, you know, it's really cool because I'm able to create groups and like mailing lists like Google Groups for Business and get more features as well. So there's a ton of features and I think the automation of Google Docs and Google Workspace as a whole definitely convinced me to switch from Office. Awesome. So, Jason, you 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 don't have a Workspace account, but you've benefited from Workspace. So, what has been your favorite thing that you've you've seen from what we're able to do uh, since me and Taylor switched our accounts over to Workspace? Fixing my Google Drive. No. Um. <laughs> so, for the listeners, uh, we ended up setting up some shared uh, Google Drives to sort of use as an experiment before we officially decided one way or the other about office and for whatever its reason decided that it was going to fill up my drive. So I also had like this weird corrupt database file. It looks like, so that was, that was, that was interesting trying to figure all that stuff out. Cause when your drive gets full, you also can't receive email, but I, I really think my favorite thing is the integration with finder and the stability of it. I mean, I can have the drives mounted on my desktop. Uh, The Google Drive app works pretty well on the Mac. Um, And I really like not having to continuously sign into my account and have it fail because it's trying to open something in system preferences and system preferences is like new. That doesn't exist. Pretty much. Although that might be Apple's fault. I'm not sure. Either Um, way. But either way, it's annoying. But it's, it's, and the fact that when you, when you have shared drives, they just show up. There's no accepting through email. I almost wish there was. There's no prompt. You you could set that up. You could actually set that up. Yeah. I just don't. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, but it is nice being added to a shared folder. Uh, I mean, a, sh- a shared uh, drive and just knowing that it's just going to be there without you really having to do anything and you can have your files offline and it's just, it just so far seems to be a very, very nice uh, experience and it, it really opens up the flexibility for other people in the future, especially, you know, people more as, as, as more and more people, you know, work from home because of the pandemic, Chromebooks have really started rising in popularity. And um, I feel like in a lot of ways, Google's uh, workspace integration would be a lot more flexible in Chrome OS than Office would, especially with the integrations with Google Drive. I, 
I keep wanting to call Google Drive OneDrive. I have been doing that ever since we started doing this. Or you'll um, call OneDrive Google Drive. You'll, yeah, you'll or I'll rever- call OneDrive Google Drive. You'll reverse yeah. the two. Yeah. But I really do think it has some very good things going for it, and I'm really excited to to uh, to learn more about it as we as we make this transition and stuff. So yeah. So my my favorite things I, that I've seen are um, I love Google Drive compared to OneDrive or Dropbox. In fact, Dropbox just lost my eleven or ten dollars a month because Google Drive just offers offers a lot more. And, you know, even on the free plan, you get more space on Google Drive and you can use it on more than three devices. Already win-win. And no double dipping. Right. So, uh, Taylor, explain double dipping. All right. So, double dipping is basically the practice where, for example, let's say that I share a folder with Michael and Jason and others, right? In Dropbox, what it will do is it'll say, okay... Well, because Taylor shared this folder with you, let's take up everybody's space. So Taylor, Michael, Jason, whoever we share it with, it'll say, let's take up everybody's space. Whereas in Google Drive, it takes up the owner's space. So in other words, double dipping is basically the process of taking up everyone's space for the same content rather than just taking up the owner's, which is how it should be. Now, there is a caveat to that that we found. If If you're using personal Google Drive, and you don't set up share drives, then anything that a person changes on a uh, share on a shared folder, not a shared drive, but a shared folder, will take up that other person's space because they made changes to that file. Right. So. Oh, so we did officially find that out. Yes, we that, did find we that did. out. That's why we moved all of our stuff from shared folders over to shared drives. Do we uh, want to explain the differences? Yeah. So a shared folder is just a folder you share with a group of people. A shared drive is a dedicated drive that uh, lives in the workspace of the person that owns the, the drive, and it takes up that organization's data. So, for example, my organization, uh, my account has two terabytes, so it takes up date that much data on that, on my organization. But if Taylor shares a big folder, it takes up the, the or big drive, it takes up the space on her drive. And where, not Michael's. And not mine. And not any of the u- other users that are added to it. So it's the initial person who uh, shared it. And, you know, another thing um, that is important to talk about is the difference between, there's two applications. There's Google Backup and Sync, or as I like to call it, Backup and Stink. Yeah. Um, and then there is what used to be called Google uh, Drive File, Google Drive File Sync, right? File Stream, File Stream. Stream. And they renamed that to Google Drive for Desktop, and that's the one you want to find. And it's not the easiest to find on their website. No, it really isn't. Because it's meant for teams and businesses to use, but it does work for individual users as well now. So highly recommend that. Very great app because it lets you um, use it without downloading any files. In fact, it does not download any files. But the other thing that's really neat is it will cache those files. And even if you don't download them, it will play. Like if you play a video, it will play instantly. I don't know how they do that. Yeah. And the other thing is on Windows and um, it creates a separate drive. So on my computer, it's like a network drive. So you've probably seen those, right? If you're, you know, let's say you're at a company 
and you have a shared drive between employees, it's kind of the same idea, right? It'll create a G drive, but you can rename that map let, uh, the drive letter, excuse me. So then that way you could go to G colon and it will bring up your Google Drive or whatever letter that you assign the drive to. So it kind of keeps everything in place. The other thing is, is that if you do have shared drives, there's a separate folder called shared drives that is below where it says my drive. So whenever you go to your Google Drive, you'll see two different things. You'll see my drive and shared drives. And so it's really nice because you have that separation. It also adds um, shortcuts to uh, to file extensions for Google Docs, Slides, and Sheets. Yep. And any Google Calendar and any other Google-based uh, uh, thing. Uh, Jason, did we miss anything that um, you know you have experienced with uh, all of this? Well, one of the things I really appreciate as far as the geek aspect is that they do have a native. It's either a native Apple Silicon app or it's a universal app, and I don't remember which universal. is the case. I think it's universal. Whereas, as far as I know, uh, OneDrive, um, yes, I almost called it Google Drive, is still running under Rosetta. Correct. Um, which I guess that's supposed to be changing at some point this year, but as of right now, it's still running under Rosetta, which I, I don't know. I I like the the apps running natively on the on There's the, another the thing that most people don't know about this app is that the Google Drive for Desktop app is actually using Apple's new file provider service and mounts the Google Google Drive in slash volumes. So it's actually just like um, they're making another file system on your computer that is doing all this stuff. So they actually are using best practices. So the Google Drive for Desktop team, it for especially on Mac, but also really on Windows too, those guys are top notch. So they yes, they are. They deserve the credit that you know. Yeah, they, I had actually forgot about that. And it's actually interesting because I heard somebody install, and I wonder if this is part of it, the file provider stuff being part of it. But it, uh, and and Michael, you can probably talk about this too, since you have Macs on both sides. Installing Google Drive on an Intel Mac requires you to restart right after the software is installed. It did. Mm-hmm. But when I installed it on my Mac, which of course is the M1 Mac, I didn't have to restart at all. It was just ready to go. Another thing, and I we'll, we'll get off. We'll, we'll talk about OneDrive here in a second. But another thing that I really like is I could press change account or sign out, whatever the label says. Sign in with Switch, my other account. Yeah, switch account, actually. Switch accounts. Account. Mm-hmm. And once I sign in with the other account, it's done. It, it's it's instant. It's not a, let's resync your stuff. Nope, it's there. And to me, that's incredible. That's really what makes this pretty amazing. OneDrive, you know, is built into Windows and you can install it from the Mac App Store. I would love to see uh, the Google Drive for desktop app make it to the Mac App Store. That would be pretty fantastic. I don't know if it can, though, because of, you know, the slash volume and all that kind of stuff. But Google Drive for, I mean, OneDrive. Jason? Now you're going to do it. Nice. I know. <laughs> See what you did, Jason? I'm not doing it on purpose, I promise. It catches. Just All like, the drives. Yeah. You know, OneDrive lets you do a lot of the same stuff. It has uh, files on demand. You can do all those things. But uh, I feel like um, you, especially with uh, Microsoft 365, you can buy more storage, but the all the plans, even the enterprise plans, start at one terabyte. Yep. All of them. 
Now, granted, their plans start at uh, $6 a month or 7 if you play, pay monthly, and you get um, one terabyte with that, whereas to get the two terabytes, you have to go up to 12 with uh, Google. And the $6 plan is 30 gigs, but you get a lot more with the Google side. Now, back to OneDrive. If you want to do a lot of the shared stuff that we've talked about with Google Drive, you have to use uh, SharePoint, and their shared folder support is not nearly as comprehensive as Google. Another thing is, unless I don't know how to turn it on, which is a problem on itself, OneDrive does not let you share outside of your organization. At least not easily. Right. Um, You might be able to do it, but we had a hard time setting that kind of stuff up. Where with Google, hey, are you sure you want to do this? This person is not in your organization. As long as they're with a Gmail account and, you know, they can log into it, you can share with whoever you want, even if they're not a workspace user. So um, before I had workspace, Taylor had shared with me, you know, some folders from her Google workspace account. And... You know, that worked really well, and now we have shared drives. And yes, folks, yes, you can share shared drives with personal Gmail users. Yes, but you Would, cannot create them with right. personal Gmails. Right, at this time. Right, since, they the, are, uh, since they are rolling out... recording. Since they are rolling out more workspace features for individuals, we'll see if that stays the same, but at, this, at least this time. You know... I I really can't say, you know, comparing the two of these products, the clear winner here, in my view, is Google Drive. Can anybody argue uh, the counterpoint? Is there a way that you feel that OneDrive does beat Google Drive here? Because even the Files app uh, integration for iOS is pretty fantastic for Google Drive. I will say that it seems like and maybe this is all in my head, but it seems like OneDrive actually synchronizes quicker than Google Drive does. Or maybe it's synchronizing multiple files at a time where I think Google Drive synchronizes one file at a time. Although I might be wrong three. on that too. Oh, there, oh yeah, it is three files at a time. But other than that, I I can't I can't really come up with anything. <laughs> now one uh Dropbox too many too many Program. Too many drives. Yeah. Dropbox has this neat little thing where you can, uh, me and uh, Taylor were working in um, Xcode. And as one of us was typing in Xcode, it would update, which was pretty cool. So I have not seen that work with Google Drive. So that's one, you know, comparison there. Let's talk about email. You know, Microsoft has their very proprietary exchange while Gmail has the very popular Gmail, right? So um, they both have their strengths and weaknesses. I think Gmail is actually using IMAP, isn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, Gmail uh, for Workspace used to use um, ActiveSync. It was called Exchange ActiveSync, I believe, and I don't believe that they're using that anymore. But even though uh, Gmail uses uh, IMAP, uh, it's still very powerful. And um, you could do a lot of the same things, but you don't get a, a lot of the distribution list capabilities that you get with, um, there are certain things that uh, Outlook can do as far as um, what people are used to in work environments. It works slightly different on uh, Gmail, but they all have very similar features, except for 
Uh, like we talked about earlier, Google Groups for Business, and that's an amazing feature. So you could create groups that are public, private, or just organization-based, and um, there's nowhere near the support for that on the Microsoft side. So, Taylor, let me ask you this. What email provider, because you've used both, Outlook uh, through Exchange and uh, Gmail, what email provider have you liked the most, and, and what is your favorite parts on e- on the one that you like the best? Right now, well, and but the other thing is, to keep in mind here is that you can actually use Gmail in Outlook itself. So I just want to throw that in there before you know I say what I'm going to say. Right, you can still use Gmail, your Gmail account in the Outlook apps. In terms of which one do I like the best? I mean, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. But what I would say from a company perspective. There's more pros for me to go with Gmail just because of the integrations, right? There's add-ons that I can integrate with and the collaboration features and the smart compose where it will give you suggestions for replying to emails. All those features make Gmail a much wiser decision from a company perspective, at least in my uh, view in my company. And I'll just disclaimer this by saying that everybody's company and everybody's needs are different. But what I would say overall is that Gmail, if you're running your own business and you're an entrepreneur, would probably make the most sense. To pe- but again, it all depends on what you're doing. However, you do not get the desktop apps with that. So I just want to make that clear. But there are ways to circumvent that. You know, you could just get a personal uh, office subscription instead. So that way you can get your Word and Excel and whatnot. But honestly, I'm starting to love Google Docs a lot more now. Yes, and and you know Google Docs even has an offline mode that you can run, and there's mo- there's native apps for iOS and Android and Chrome and well, I guess technically Chrome OS, but there's the the web browser versions of those as well. Yes, um, I'm I'm a big fan of those. Is it, but you know going back to email, uh, I I really feel like email through Exchange is really good if you're looking at the enterprise world, right? Yeah, it just works really well with um, if you have a huge team. And, you know, you want to work that in all and be integrated in the Microsoft environment. Jason, what are your thoughts on on the email uh, portion of this? I know, I mean, I know you have a personal Gmail account, but they're not much different. So uh, compared to Workspace. So what are are your thoughts? I think that, again, I don't know how much of this is being caused by Apple, how much of this is being caused by by Microsoft. But I will say that I have not had... nearly as many problems staying signed into my uh my 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 gmail account as i have my exchange account which um (laughs) i was switching devices to be on the show so that i could be on my mac and i had forgot that currently i'm still not able to receive emails from my exchange account on my mac which means i had to play pass the zoom link around in order to get the link to my Mac and you know, I, I, I wouldn't have had that problem with my Gmail. It would have just gone through. So I've, I've got to give it to Gmail really. And I, I just, I, it's just been more reliable. So now let's, let's, we're, we're going to skip uh, sheets and slides or Excel and PowerPoint on this comparison today, because I feel like we could go on for a long time on every service that is offered by both of these platforms. So we'll look at Google Docs. Okay. Compared to Word because that's what people work in the most, right? So I've been a Office fan for a very long time. I grew up using Office, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, all those programs, Outlook. 
And I still love Microsoft Outlook. That is my favorite email client. But I must say that I've been working with Google Docs with Taylor on some projects. And it is very different from what I thought it would be. Especially because there's add-ons to do stuff like convert to Markdown or post to WordPress and much more. And not even that, as a programmer, Google Docs does something that blew my mind. And I'm not kidding when I say that. As I was typing, Google Docs was using AI to try to predict what I was typing. And believe it or not, it was pretty accurate. Oh, yeah. And you could just press tab to have it autocomplete what you're trying to type, just like as if you were getting code completion in writing code. That blew me away. Plus, also observing, you know, whenever I was making edits and selections and things like that in Google Docs, and Taylor was able to hear those things with a screen reader. I mean, okay, it would have been great if she knew. Okay, I changed line, you know, a line to say this instead of that. That would be awesome. But she knew I was selecting text. She knew all different things that I was doing in that document. That is quality. And I know Word has some collaboration features and things like that, but there's nothing near that quality in in Microsoft Word, at least that I've found. Now, if somebody can prove me wrong that and they can say that these programs all have parity, that's great. But I I have not seen it, and I like the you know one of the neatest things that you can do. And Taylor, I don't know if you use this or not. If you want to start a new Google Doc, you just go to document.new on your web browser. Oh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And you get oh, a new man. document. And I believe you could do sheet.new and slide.new or something similar. Mm-hmm. That is so nice. I, I keep forgetting about that, but I need to use that more because like, oh, I got to go create a new document. Mm-hmm. So nice. I just did it right now. So go ahead, Jason. What are your thoughts? So the nice thing, too, you were talking about collaboration announcements and whatnot, is you can basically get the same announcements across all the things. Like, back when I had my Pixelbook, I did a little bit of, of, of stuff with Google Docs. Um, I haven't used it much since, but I remember seeing pretty much the same set of announcements that I could configure somewhere in accessibility settings for um, Google Docs. On iOS, on Chrome OS, on Android, I think, um, and on on my Mac. And getting those announcements read to me in pretty much the same way, in the same, you know, format was kind of nice because, you know, you get you get used to the way the announcements are read on, say, Chrome, and you go to an another operating system, you don't you just don't have to think about it as much mm-hmm. since the announcements are the same. And right. it's, it's, it's something that's pretty kind of cool. And you can set, I think, the verbosity of the collaboration announcements and stuff in accessibility settings. So you can control, at least to some degree, what announcements you receive and what announcements you don't. And I find that amazing. Yeah, and it's a very similar experience. And there's even a screen reader or Braille mode in Google Docs, right? Which I highly recommend you turn on, both of those, screen reader and Braille. So, Taylor, can you explain those modes? Yeah, so when you're doing Google Docs, and guys, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed about this, don't worry, because Taylor's Tech Talks has a demo about this. We did a live stream on the iAccessibility channel 
um, on Tuesday, I think, right, Michael? Tuesday or Wednesday, I think. Yeah, we actually did a Google Docs demo, and the video itself of the Docs demo will be out later this week on Taylor's Tech Talks. So um, the different modes, real quick, are screen reader and Braille. So screen reader is basically going to help optimize Google Docs for screen readers. And that's kind of really what it does. So you press Control, Alt-Z, or Command, Alt-Z, Mac, and you'll hear your screen reader say, screen reader mode enabled. Braille mode, on the other hand, I don't know why they call it Braille mode, but honestly what it does is it helps to make the editor, editor, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm not really writing code, but it helps to make the document read and respond a lot faster, and it also can help with performance if you are doing Braille in Google Docs. So if you want to turn on Braille support, you can go to the accessibility settings in Google Docs. And once you do it for once, it will uh, save that setting universally. You only have to do it once per account. I really love that. And yeah, so both Google Docs, Screen Reader, and Braille support, I would highly recommend turning on. Excellent. So uh, there's some amazing features in Docs. And now let me ask you this. With Screen Reader mode, do you have, once you do um, the keystroke to turn that on, do you have to re-enable that every time or is it automatically on? No. Anytime I do it, it's automatic. So that's, that's also the same with Braille mode. Excellent. Okay. Jason, isn't that the same keystroke as uh, Chromevox? Is it? It is, actually. Huh. Unless they've recently changed it. Uh, as far as I know, it is still Control-Alt-Z, so I wonder then if screen reader mode automatically gets enabled for you when you're using it on a Chromebook. I don't know the answer to that. I never thought about that. So that would be very interesting to find out. Or what happens if you have Chromevox installed in your Chrome instance? Well, there is. Oh, that's true. I forgot you can install it in the, uh, in the Chrome browser, at least. Is it still available for the actual Chrome browser? I, I thought it so. was. I think so. Pretty sure. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see, because Chromevox does have a pass-through mode. I don't remember right now off the top of my head how to enable it so that you could pass through keys to your application. I think it is a pass-through mode. I think it's, it might be Chromevox Escape. I don't remember. Uh, But I do believe it has one, so you may have to do that in order to enable screen reader mode if it doesn't enable for you for docs. But but yeah, that's... I I bet it does if you have Chromevox and you're using that, yeah. Yeah, maybe. So... You know, the difference is, you know, in in Office, we have, um, you know, Narrator, we have JAWS, and we have um, NVDA that just work with these programs out of the box. I guess that's one difference is since we have native apps, we can do that. But the other problem is, and I know, I know they're working on it, but the accessibility of the Office web applications, meh. Lacking, yeah. Yeah, very meh. I know they're planning to make them better, and if they haven't already, but... I feel like Google really has done it right with these uh, programs. So, yeah, Google Workspace. Highly recommend uh, check out some of those features. Um, I really do like that the st- the spelling and grammar check and the predictive modes that they have. Yes. You could even get, I don't know why you'd want to do this, but you could even get add-ons for coding where you could actually write code in Google Docs. I could see that, though, in some situations like if you're doing a code interview you know like if you do whiteboards obviously those aren't really accessible for us blind people so um what some of us have done you know uh i was at my other university 
uh, job, and we had to try to make coding interviews accessible. What we were able to do is use Google Docs, and because obviously you don't have all your code suggestions, right? But you know that is a good way to uh, circumvent the code interview whiteboard problem, where blind people can't type code on a whiteboard. Exactly. So the other thing you know that's neat is we can en- enable two-factor authentication. But the restrictions are not nearly as heavy on requiring a relogin after a certain amount of time, I believe. Yeah, you're correct. Uh, because with Office, it's either 14 days or up to 60 days. And that can be tedious on all of your devices when you have to relog in at the same time or at different times. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of integration with other web services. Um, I kind of feel like this has been a complete pick on Microsoft Day. But I will say, you know, really where Microsoft has excelled is their their native desktop apps. Yes. There is nothing, nothing in the world that can beat those apps. For example, there is nothing, I mean, I don't believe there's an equivalent in Google Doc, in, in Google Workspace for Publisher or Access. No. Some of the other professional apps that you get with Office. So, you know, you still get Word on the desktop. You get Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, OneNote. Um, and, you know, Google has, Google Keep uh, is the equivalent to OneNote. And it's a pretty comparable program. I'm not sure of its accessibility, but um, one place that Microsoft also really just has taken a baseball bat and hit that ball out of the park is Microsoft To Do. Oh, yeah. And we still use that. Yes. And, uh, but the funny thing is we don't use them with, we don't use it with exchange accounts. No, we don't. Nope. Because you lose support with, for push notifications and other things when you're using it with an exchange account. So. Yeah. You know, it's, (laughs) it's funny that you're like, it's, it's, it's kind of turned into a, uh, a pick on, uh, office episode. And I was going to kind of say something similar jokingly being like, and so the real title of this show is why we switched to Google Workspace. <laughs> but hey, be, um, be careful, it might still be that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, you were talking about signing in and everything, Michael, and one of the things that gets really annoying, at least on the Mac side, and again, I don't know who's at fault here. I kind of don't care who's at fault. I just wish it didn't happen is when Microsoft Office is like, hey, you need, or when Mail is like, hey, you need to enter your password for your Microsoft account, and then so you go into um, your network accounts inside system preferences, and there's literally nothing there that says you need to enter your password. You can see all your services and that you have the account set up with. They're enabled and or disabled, depending on your preference. Nothing is dimmed, and so it just seemed sometimes like it gives you arbitrary your password needs to be input here notifications which really gets old yeah so uh the other thing that i want to point out is um and i wish i would have known you you can do this with microsoft it's not as easy to set up but one of the neatest things that we have found in google and going back to email is split delivery this is a game changer so one thing that I like is Google has five MX records that they ask you to put on your domain. That way that you have one primary and four alternatives in case their main one is down for email. Imagine that. And you don't have to configure all the other headaches you have to with Office. 
no setting up auto discovery, no setting up SIP, DNS records, no setting up all of those things that you have to do with Office. All you have to do is set up your MX record for email, and that's it. Google handles the rest. And if you want to um, you know, do a few other things, you can do that too. A few other DNS records if you want to. I only had to set up that in a TXT record or a CNAME record for verification, and that's it. My domain is there, and I could have as many domains as I want, but going back to what I was saying, split delivery lets me set up, say I don't, say I have iaccessibility.net, say I manage the whole domain from my website, from cPanel. I can set up the email through Google and have it forward addresses to cPanel. So... I can have as many email addresses as I want on cPanel and then the rest of them be on Google Workspace and then the real kicker, the real kicker. There's an option in setting up a route like this where you can say um, all messages will go through the Gmail spam filter. Now, what that means is uh, before they even get to cPanel, they're going to be checked for spam. How cool is that? So you have a lot more options, I feel like, and it's easy to set up. You don't have to worry about Azure Active Directory. You don't have to worry about all those complicated things that you do on the Microsoft side that I had to set up to get Office the way I wanted to for our users. And that's another thing. Our bill is going from 15 Office users to one Google user, and everybody else can use their cPanel or personal Gmail accounts. It's that simple. Yes, this has been a pick on Microsoft episode, but I still want to reiterate the desktop apps are worth buying. So if you could buy those yearly, get the family plan, get five licenses, and you know, you get a lot there. I think each person gets a license and it's not I think 150 for the family or maybe 99, I don't remember. It's worth it's worth your time for Office to get those applications. So, um, do you guys have any final comments before we wrap up today? I think the only thing I can just say is, you know, whether you decide to go with Office, whether you decide to go with Workspace, whether you decide, you know, regardless of what you decide with, the important thing is picking the best option that works for you and or your organization or business or whatever you need. And, you know, do your research, look at plans, look at pricing, you know, basically with anything else, you know, it's just like buying, you know, a computer kind of right as long as whatever you choose does what you need that's the important thing and just just look at your options and 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 pick what's best for you yep all right we are going to change this uh um the ending section here because we are running low on time this actually went longer than i thought it would we're going to forgo picks this time and we will start that up again next episode so jason where can people find you online People can find me producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at jason at iAccessibility.net. You can also find me on Twitter at JDE, that's Juliet Delta Echo 91. And you can find me on Clubhouse. If you do, feel free to say hi. All right. Uh, Taylor, where can people find you online? I am all over the web. But um, you can find me at Taylor underscore Arndt 22. You can go to my YouTube channel. So we've been talking about Taylor's Tech Talks. Uh, Jason is probably going to put a link to the show notes in there. Uh, for the Taylor's Tech Talks, there's a YouTube and a podcast. Uh, so taylorstechtalks.com will give you everything you need. Um, and I produce content for iAccessibility. I'm on Clubhouse as well as email taylor at iaccessibility.net. 
And yeah, those are some of the places where you can find me online. And that first uh, one that you mentioned is for your Twitter. And yep. also, uh, we will put a referral code for Google Workspace in um, our show notes for Taylor's referral code. Yep. And that does get you 10% off for the first year. Yep. Yep. Awesome. All right. You could find me, Michael, producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at Mike Doeys. That's M-I-K-E-D-O-I-S-E at iAccessibility.net. I am Mike Doeys on Twitter. And you could find me on Facebook, Michael Doeys, Clubhouse, all the places, and at my website, MichaelDoeys.com, and my new business home at techopolis.online. So hope you come by and say hi and um, kind of look at me as I watch as I build this website. That website's being used for a Minecraft server, uh, development platform, all kinds of cool stuff. So, you know, that might be an, ev- an idea for a- an episode or a live uh, or one of our live interview shows that we're starting up, Taylor, to do a talk about Mac Stadium and what we're able to do with it. I oh, think yeah. Kind of I think that should be one of our next ones. Yeah, we've got a lot of ideas already, so this is good. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the IA Cast. Thank you guys so much for being here. And we will be back in two weeks for another episode. So thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. This show has been brought to you by the IACast Network. We love hearing from you. Email us at feedback at iaccessibility.net. Got Twitter? Follow us at iaccessibility1. Facebook? Search for iaccessibility. Download our free apps for iOS and Android and keep up with all of our content at iaccessibility.net. If you'd like to donate to our show, hit the PayPal button on our website and get early access to our outtakes with a donation at patreon.com slash IACast. Thanks for listening.